0: Hello, this podcast is sponsored by aboutmeditation.com and our free How to Meditate mini course. Learn meditation in 5 easy lessons at aboutmeditation.com Welcome to the One Mind Podcast from aboutmeditation.com My name is Morgan Dix and I'm your host. On One Mind, we explore different angles on meditation, mindfulness and health. We interview experts and everyday practitioners to bring you the stories, the science, and the exploration that will help you understand why this ancient practice is more relevant and important today than ever before. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me today. I'm very excited to share my interview about Transcendental Meditation with Tom Bershad who is my fellow co-founder here at aboutmeditation.com. But before we get into the interview, if you're getting any value from our show, I want to ask you to please let me know. Leave us a rating and a review over on iTunes. Drop a comment. Leave me some feedback. Let me know what moved you. If you had an insight, or maybe you disagree, let me know. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. Our show costs money to run, and your ratings and reviews help us to keep it going. So please head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and a review. So back to today's show. As some of you know from a previous episode, Tom is a long-time meditator. He started back in 1973, before I was born, when he was formally initiated into Transcendental Meditation at the age of 15. He's been meditating with relative consistency ever since. So I wanted to interview Tom today about Transcendental Meditation, otherwise known as TM, and mostly from this point onward, I will refer to it as TM. I wanted to do this interview about TM with Tom because a lot of people write to us with questions about this practice, and Tom really has a wealth of in-depth knowledge all about this practice. If you've ever wondered about TM, what it is, how it works, how you practice it, the philosophy behind it, this show is for you. Because we go into all of that, Tom really walks you through the practice of TM based on his own extensive experience. And it's important to say, Tom is not officially affiliated with the transcendental meditation movement or organization in any way. This is really coming from his own in-depth experience. So you're going to learn about mantras, about the yogic philosophy behind TM, a little bit about what kind of experiences you can have as you practice it, both as a beginner and as an advanced practitioner. And truth be told, we really just scratched the surface in this interview. But I think you're going to find it super informative and inspiring as well, Tom's combination of passion and precision is refreshing and illuminating. So let's get right into the interview. Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here.
1: Thanks, Morgan. Glad to be here.
0: Fantastic. So I think we can dive right in. And so some people in our audience, they're going to be familiar with some of your story because we featured it previously in episode 16. But I wanted to ask if you wouldn't mind giving a short recap of how you started practicing transcendental meditation over 40 years ago, but also can you share a little more about your history with meditation really right up to the present moment?
1: Sure, I'd be glad to. I started meditating around 15 years old. I was introduced to the concept of meditation by some friends at school, and like a lot of other 15-year-olds, uh, it's a difficult time of life. You're sort of in between on a lot of things, and like many other teenagers, I felt socially outcast. I felt academically overchallenged. I had difficult relationships with uh, family and some friends. Mm -hmm. and I was really looking for something new. So I was introduced to meditation and I didn't really know what to expect. So it turned out that my entire family was very supportive and all of us went to the TM Center and attended a Friday night lecture where they explained the technique. We all came back the following day uh, for an initiation, which consisted of a person doing some prayers over some incense. We all had to bring a piece, two pieces of fruit and a white handkerchief as part of the ceremony. Nice. I literally stood there while they performed the ceremony, and then a few minutes later, the teacher turned around and gave me my mantra and explained how to use the mantra and had me meditate for the first time right there in front of them. Mm. We did that for a few minutes, he asked me a few questions to see if I had a proper understanding, I did, and then he asked me to go and meditate where some other people were. So all of us were meditating together for a while, and that was the first time I practiced Transcendental Meditation. And the rest of that weekend I meditated three more times and felt very, very relaxed, felt extremely uh, happy in a uh, for no reason
0: mm-hmm.
1: and Monday morning I went out did my meditation and went out to my bus stop where all the other teenagers were waiting for the school bus and I normally found that to be a very uh, uninteresting uh, place to be and because of the way that I was feeling internally I was sort of very social and I very friendly and the whole experience was completely different I, I felt very connected to the people that were there and we just all had a great time and i felt somehow whatever i was feeling inside of me was projecting out and other people were actually sensing it becoming a part of it mm. this actually continued to grow and become part of the way that i lived my life. So I would meditate in the mornings, go to school. And interestingly, usually uh, in the beginning, after a couple of hours, I would start to sort of fall back into what I would call my normal unhappy state of mind. And then I would meditate again in the afternoon and that would sort of pick me up again. Mm -hmm. uh, And I'd feel good for a few hours and then I'd start to fall back into my normal state and gradually over, I would say, a period of about six months, the happier state became more and more permanent, and eventually it really just became the background for most of my life. So Mm -hmm. the normal state of consciousness, in a sense, receded and was replaced by this just sense of connectedness and happiness and goodwill toward other people and situations.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I no longer felt that I was a victim of circumstance. Uh, I felt that I had the choice. I had the ability to make different choices. Mm-hmm. I would say I had a feeling that all is well with the world, and that uh, I just had a much more positive, optimistic point of view. Right. Ultimately, this led into a complete transformation for me socially, my relationships with my family, my academics improved. Basically, I got it together and uh, ended up doing really well in high school and went on to a really good college and university experience. And I don't want to say everything in my life was just roses, but I think that my internal state, became more the frame of reference as opposed to being caught up with dramas in the external world. Right. And even though things still happen, still bad things or difficult things still happen, I, was, I had a much better attitude in terms of how I dealt with those things.
0: Mm. So you practiced TM then ongoingly for how long then?
1: I was a regular meditator from the time I was about 15, until I was in my early 20s, maybe 22, 23 years old. And uh, I actually got fairly deeply into it, studied some of the more advanced practices, went away on some uh, week-long retreats. I felt it really improved my life in so many ways that I, I just wanted to know as much as I could about it. When I reached my early 20s, I started to go through a a change. I graduated from college, started working, eventually met my wife. And it seemed at that point that for a variety of reasons that I just had less time and I began to fall away from my meditation practice.
0: Hmm.
1: That went on probably for about six or seven years. So I still meditated, but just wasn't regular with it. And eventually I realized in retrospect that I was falling back into more and more of what I would consider the state that I had left when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. and started to have a more cynical and somewhat less optimistic outlook on life. And then it came to pass that a friend of Margie's, my wife, introduced me to a place called the Monroe Institute. Mm -hmm. And I started to go to workshops there and that Reconnected me with this part of myself and sort of reintroduced me back to this inner state where I felt very connected to everything and, and very positive towards my life. So that was the only period in my life for those six or seven years where I wasn't really a regular meditator. Right. From that point on, I was delving into different types of meditation practices. Initially, I was very loyal to the transcendental meditation uh, context. But at this point in my life, I wanted to understand more of the science behind meditation and the health benefits. And I started to explore a variety of other techniques. And I sort of dabbled, I would say, with different things like zen meditation. Uh, I practiced other kinds of mantra meditation, Mm -hmm. something called kundalini meditation. Eventually, through probably another 10 or 12 years or so of diff- of trying different things, I eventually ended up connecting to a Western Sufi teacher.
0: Tom, one question I have before, I want to come back to the Western Sufi teacher, but before we do that, just quickly jumping back, can you say a little bit about the Monroe Institute what was or what is the Monroe Institute? Can you just give everyone a sense of that institution because it's, as I understand it, it's a it's a significant institution in the West in in terms of a a real anchor for meditation in the West. Absolutely. So the Monroe Institute was founded
1: back in the nineteen fifties, I believe, by a guy named Robert Monroe, and he was uh, at that time a an early entrepreneur in cable television owned some radio stations and things of that nature. So he was a pretty traditional business person. And at a certain point, he began to have what people would call out of body experiences. He literally visualized himself leaving his body and traveling to different places. And this experience, uh, as you can probably imagine, in the 1950s was really startling. He thought he was going. A little crazy. Mm-hmm. He went to a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist couldn't find anything wrong with him. He tried various medication, nothing stopped the experience from happening. So eventually he decided to do what any uh, enterprising individual would do. He began his own institute, recruited uh, some research help and started to uh, run studies and experiments. And Eventually, he collected a lot of data and was able to teach other people how to do this. And from his research, he invented something called binaural technology, which has to do with uh, frequencies that are played in both ears that actually stimulate different parts of the brain.
0: That's amazing, right? So for everyone who doesn't know, binaural technology, it's it's an extremely popular meditation modality. But Tom, I didn't, I wasn't aware, I had forgotten that that really started at the Monroe Institute.
1: Yes. I think the actual research that discovered binaural technology was done by other more university level researchers, but it wasn't something that was actually being utilized. Yeah, And Monroe actually took the concept and and developed applications for it. Mm. And Through that technology, he was able to stimulate through sound frequencies different parts, sort of light up different parts of people's brains, which allowed them to then have these experiences without years of training and preparation. Got it. It turned out to be an incredible way to give people a profound experience so that they could actually know for themselves that these things were possible. Mm-hmm. To a large extent, that was the mission of the Monroe Institute to become a gateway to these types of experiences. It wasn't specifically touted as a training or a long-term training program so much as a way for people to, to gain the experience and then apply that in, in other ways through other various kinds of practices such as uh, transcendental meditation and other other meditation practices. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. That was great because we have a lot of ground to cover in this interview. Let's jump forward to the part of your story where you were beginning to tell us about meeting your Sufi teacher.
1: Sure. At the point at which I made contact with this Sufi teacher, he was a direct student of a fellow named Idris Shah, who Was a very prolific writer and teacher to many thousands of people all over the planet, really. And Idris Shah created a type of practice and approach to Sufism that was really approachable by Westerners. It did not include any of the religious trappings or any of the sort of overtly spiritual overtones that traditional Sufism may have Mm. There were no dervish dances or, you know, wearing of robes or things of that nature. It was really designed for Western people to be embedded in in a Western lifestyle and context. So my teacher learned directly from Shah and then founded his own teaching context in the late 1990s. I was one of the first people to approach him and ask him to instruct me Hmm. and uh, we became very close and I would visit him in his home in Mexico three or four times a year and to this day I still maintain contact with him although I don't visit him anymore. I still engage in the practices and use the techniques that he has taught me. It's a much deeper involvement in transcendental meditation for me personally, but it also fills the same role as a meditation system and technique that literally changes my consciousness and my perception of uh, my world on a daily basis.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So there's obviously a lot in your story that it would be great to explore and unpack because it's fascinating. But for this episode, we're going to stick with TM. And since I believe really that's a topic that you, our listeners, are very interested in and have asked us about, and because it's really one of the most popular, celebrated and mainstream systems of meditation in the West, we're going to now really pivot just to speak about that because Tom has a depth of experience in that. And so I thought it'd be great, Tom, if you could tell us a little bit more about So for example, a lot of the questions we get are very simple. It's like, well, what exactly is transcendental meditation? What is TM? What is the exact practice that people are doing?
1: Well, I think the simple way of, of explaining it is that when you learn TM, the first thing that you'll be asked to do is to attend a very brief lecture. And brief means about an hour or so with Q and A afterwards. And in that hour, they introduce you to some very basic concepts that will be important in not only the practice of transcendental meditation, but also gives you a context for what it is that you're actually doing and why it works and how how it works. So I think in simple terms, I'll I'll just cover a couple of the highlights. Uh, They introduce you initially to the idea that the thinking mind, the part of ourselves that has thoughts, is actually a surface aspect. Most most people are aware that we have a conscious mind and a subconscious mind and perhaps even an unconscious mind. And from the TM way of thinking of things, the conscious mind, which is what we normally associate with our day-to-day Thoughts and way of thinking about the world mm-hmm. is really just this surface layer, and there's all this really amazing deep level stuff that goes on behind the scenes all of the time that we're just not aware of. You know, including our heart working properly and our food being digested, right? And uh, you know, memories that we may have had that we don't actually consciously remember that influence the way we respond to things and so forth. Even deeper than that, there is a stillness at the core of us that the TM people refer to as the absolute. And my way of experiencing that is that it's the deepest, calmest, thought-free part of ourselves that you can imagine. It's, it's sort of like arriving at the most basic part of ourselves where you're completely at rest where everything is calm and everything is connected and that there really is no deeper that one can go. In TM practice, what we learn is how to go from the conscious part of the mind and literally descend through the layers of the subconscious and unconscious and arrive at this deepest part of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what we're actually doing, and again, this is the TM way of, of talking about it, is that as we descend through these parts of ourself, we literally make those areas conscious, whereas normally they're not. We actually learn the technique of expanding our consciousness to include all of the parts of ourselves, not just the highest or most superficial level of the thinking mind. Mm-hmm. So from an experiential point of view, the actual TM practice is very simple. It's, you know, that what I just described probably sounds somewhat abstract and possibly complex, but mm-hmm. the actual practice of TM couldn't be any simpler. The practice itself is based on the use of a, a mantra, which I'll, I'll explain in a minute what that is for the purpose of this interview, let's just call it a sound that doesn't have a specific meaning. It's just a sound that we repeat in our minds. And quite simply, as you repeat the sound, you have the intention of just relaxing and allowing and letting go. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, what happens is that the thought of that sound becomes more and more abstract so the process of of meditation is very simple one repeats the mantra and as you repeat the mantra you have the intention of letting go and as you let go the thought by itself and on its own starts to become less distinct initially it may seem as though you're repeating a sound inside your head, as though you're actually saying it with your voice. It's like a very clear repetition. And then as you start to let go, you move to a place where the thought is more a thought about that sound. And it's eventually, as you let go more and as the repetition continues, the thought eventually becomes almost like the intention of having that thought as opposed to a very clear thought by itself. So you literally feel yourself sinking down deeper and deeper to the source of the actual thought. Eventually, you reach the point that I described earlier where it's literally the base of consciousness itself. Hmm. And it's almost as though you're feeling the sensation of floating deeper and deeper into your own consciousness and the distinctness of everything becomes less and less. And the final uh, resting point is this extremely calm, extremely relaxing, extremely profound state. It's almost, in modern terms, like rebooting your brain at that point. You've- mm press the off button and now everything's off and you're just sitting there in a complete state of rest. For the novice uh, meditator, this actually may not even be an experience at all in the beginning. It's very normal that when people first start to meditate, they sort of get less and less distinct and then they realize that they've just come out of something, it's almost like they're waking up.
0: When you say they get less distinct, what do you, what does that mean?
1: It's sort of like following a thought to its origin. So in the beginning, uh, you'll be, you'll sort of be saying mantra, 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 sort of almost like you're saying it out loud in your mind. Yeah. As you begin to let go, you have this effect that happens that you're sort of going mantra, mantra, mantra. And then you realize that there's sort of a deeper level where it's actually you're thinking about that sound as opposed to actually saying it out loud in your mind. Right. So the mantra becomes less distinct. It transitions from a very overt mental repetition to more of a thought about the mantra. And then a deeper level would be realizing that there's even more of a core origin, which is sort of the intention of having the thought to say the mantra. And got it. Yeah. So you're, you're like, in a sense, you're literally following a thought to, to the source of all thoughts.
0: So when you're talking how I understand this and also experience it, as you're talking about it, there's a quality of, well, there's the quality of letting go that you described probably letting go of layers of distraction and the sort of superficial mind that we're usually engaged with but it sounds like your focus becomes deeply absorbed in this inward sound and that you're in a certain way you're kind of penetrating it and does that is that resonate i mean because as you describe going into that source, there's a sense of self that's um, again it's it's challenging to describe, but undivided.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's very fair. Uh, it's also going to be influenced by the level or length of time someone has practiced meditation. Uh, as I described earlier, what meditation or especially this particular type of meditation does is it gradually makes parts of the mind that normally are remain unconscious or Mm -hmm. subconscious so you know these parts of the mind are now available to our conscious mind so we're actually literally expanding our consciousness through this technique and including more and more of our self. So at a certain point when you reach this state of rest, you're literally experiencing your whole self and different experiences may come about over time with that particular experience. A more advanced meditator may have an extremely profound experience of wholeness and connectedness to everything. Right. So as an early stage meditator, it's not uncommon to have the experience of actually blanking out when you begin to make that descent toward your core. And it's very typical to have the experience where you suddenly realize that you were somewhere, but it's almost like you were uh, asleep and you're waking up from that. And, uh, you, you're now off on a thought of some kind Mm -hmm. about it or something else that is normal and to be expected as you begin to practice regularly and over a period of time, the clarity of all of those experiences will become sharper and more defined and you'll have much greater uh, ability to really discern what's actually happening when you go through these uh, experiences. Mm, Got it.
0: So this kind of getting really to that core stillness that you described that isn't necessarily something that someone's going to experience out of the gates
1: right they will have the experience of coming out of it they will almost certainly go down toward it and then they'll have the experience of suddenly sort of almost like waking up as though from a sleep and you'll know that you've had you've been somewhere and something has happened, but you just may not have a a conscious memory of it. However, that being said, one of the most important aspects of all of this is that you will feel profoundly rested in a way that you may never have felt. Mm. And that profound state of rest will really influence your entire attitude about everything. So that's one of the key reasons why meditating regularly and Uh, allowing yourself to, in a sense, reboot each day is so important and so transforming.
0: That's fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit more about the core aspect of this practice, the vehicle for the practice is the mantra, as I understand it. And as you've told me about it, can you say a little bit more about the mantra? What is a mantra? How should we think about mantras?
1: Sure. Okay. Well, you know, transcendental meditation really comes out of a yogic tradition, just like yoga, as most Westerners are familiar with it. Most of the people that practice yoga practice the physical exercises known as hatha yoga. But yoga is actually a thousands of year old system and it includes meditation breathing exercises and other types of activities so it's a very profound very ancient tradition and it's been developed over thousands of years by people who've delved into the deepest parts of it so mantras by the tm perspective are a bit of a delicate matter People, if they've had any exposure to TM, they may be aware that you're not supposed to tell other people your mantra. The main reason for that is that once you're given the mantra, you say it out loud the very first time when you're with your teacher and you repeat it several times so that they know that that you have the correct sound. But at that point, you then begin to take it internally and you begin to move towards your core with that
0: sound question about that, Tom. So would like a mantra could be as simple as the one that when you were telling me originally about TM, you gave me the example of OM. That would be an example of a mantra. Is that right?
1: Ohm is one of the more widely practiced mantras. It is not specific to TM. And my understanding is that if you go and actually learn Transcendental meditation from their program that you will probably not be given that particular mantra as part of your initiation. However, mantras, as I said, are a somewhat delicate matter. Yes. And from the TM point of view, the belief is that everything in the universe is made up of vibration. And I believe our scientific uh, community would agree with that that everything that occurs in nature is a sound has a certain frequency and is a a vibration of some underlying uh, medium the tm people would say that that's actually consciousness that the universe is alive and conscious Uh, a physicist would would say that that's the essential matter or energy that the universe is made out of and they wouldn't probably say any more than that but uh, i think both ways of looking at it agree on the concept that everything vibrates and generates a frequency Mm. so the tm people would say that it's important to select a frequency which has a positive sound quality and om having been used by millions and millions of people for thousands of years probably is a, is a good one.
0: <laughs> right.
1: Another version of om is aum. You'll often see it uh, written as A-U-M. I believe that the origin of that one is that if you simply open your mouth and make a sound, the ah sound is the most basic sound that a human being can make. And as you close your mouth and continue to make that sound, it'll go Mmm. so aum is actually probably the most fundamental sound that a human being can make. Mm. And from that point of view, it's probably safe to bet that since we're built to make that sound, it's probably okay to do that one as well. Got it. So there are a number of mantras that are well-known. Those are two uh, that are are pretty good. And maybe if people are interested, we can do a little bit of research and find some others that. Uh, we can send out to people if they're curious about that. That's that's sort of the TM perspective. That you know the the Western scientific community is probably not as interested in the frequency aspect of this. I know that Herbert Benson, who's a Harvard-based uh, medical doctor, has done a lot of research on meditation and even studied TM and has sort of taken the fundamental aspects of it and created something called the relaxation response. And he suggests using the numeral one or just repeating one, one, one as a alternative. I don't know and I can't vouch for the quality of that particular sound but according to Herbert Benson people do realize great benefit from using that particular sound as well. So. Far be it for me to argue with Herbert Benson.
0: Your point being that that it's likely that the TM folks in general would take issue with that or not necessarily agree with him because they would they have more specific guidelines for choosing mantras.
1: Right. My understanding is that the mantras that TM works with were developed and used for thousands of years and have a, a long history of being sort of tested in the field, if you will, as right, as, right. as having a positive quality. So that's, I guess, one of the benefits of learning from the TM people is that they're uh, field tested. They know what they're doing. Yet there are many other mantras out there that one can find that, you know, similarly have been tested, but just are not necessarily utilized or taught through the TM system. Right.
0: Well, so I have a question for you, Tom. I wonder what you think. What, or or rather, why do you think TM is so popular?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think that there's a couple of reasons.
0: Number one,
1: the way that it is taught is it couldn't be any simpler. It's a very easy to understand meditation technique. The TM organization was designed from the ground up to appeal to a Western mind. Mm-hmm. There are no religious or spiritual trappings aside from the founder, Maharishi, who is no longer with us. He was a, uh, a yogi and a an Indian by birth and uh, comes from that culture and that tradition. However, he really made every effort to teach in a way that Western people could understand. So on those two points, the simplicity and ease, and also the context in which it's taught, make it very accessible uh, for the average person to to understand and to practice.
0: Mm -hmm. In the end, would you say that TM, although in a certain way it benefits from the two attributes that you described, in terms of giving it this sort of mainstream appeal and popularity. Ultimately, my, my sense is that TM, like a lot of practices, whether it's insight meditation, which is another one of the very popular ones, maybe mindfulness-based stress reduction, ultimately all these practices we can relate to as different streams that point to that same source ultimately that you were describing that that deep center of stillness would you agree with that characterization
1: absolutely i imagine it if you visualize a mountain that there are different pathways that all reach the top of the mountain but they each one has a has different characteristics and different uh, approaches but ultimately, they're all leading to the same result.
0: Yeah. That's how I think about it, too. And I think it's, it's important for people to understand that. And also because a lot of people struggle. They're overwhelmed with the sense that there are so many paths to choose from. Different approaches, teachers, techniques, schools. Where do I begin? And part of the reason we wanted to do this interview is just like we do in the podcast, we like to expose people to different types of meditation, but we also try and give the sense that in its essence, meditation is really pointing you to the same thing. You're, you're looking to use your metaphor at the same peak or you're looking to really cultivate that vehicle in yourself to access that same fundamental stillness. And we feel it's important to talk about some of these more popular ones like TM.
1: I would agree with that.
0: Great. So last question, Tom, what, and you've already hit on this implicitly in a lot of what you said, but could you just wrap up talking about some of the long-term benefits that people can really expect to experience from practicing TM?
1: Sure. TM or any meditation practice that is out there that's been proven as a a beneficial meditation practice the way that I look at meditation it's it's like any other good habit if you do it every day the results eventually get stronger and stronger so it sort of builds on itself if you only practice every now and then it's sort of like getting a good night's sleep every now and then it feels good the next day but then if you go back to whatever your life is like where you're not getting good rest, you're gonna feel very tired. So so one of the things about meditation is that it's a a good habit. It's healthy for the mind, the brain, and the body to have that really deep and very profound rest. And I literally mean that when you reach that state uh, at the core of your being, there is really no deeper state of rest than that. And that's not something that the average person would typically experience in the normal course of their life. So they literally need to work with meditation in order to have that deep rest. And I think the analogy that I would use, I'm sure probably most of our listeners have had the experience where they, maybe they're on vacation or it's a a weekend and they wake up, they've had a really good rest and maybe they walk outside and the air is clear and the weather is beautiful and the wind just has that perfect kind of caressing feeling and they just sit quietly and just enjoy being alive without doing anything else, without being distracted or actually having the need to do anything else. They just can sit and enjoy and feel great to be alive. And I think that that is, in a way, one of the long-term benefits of meditation is that it literally brings you to that state as a normal course of your life and during during your day and allows you to access that state much more easily whenever you need it. So if you're in a particularly stressful situation or things are difficult, it's a lot easier to access that place in yourself where you can feel that way about your life and the world. So it makes the tough parts of life easier in that sense. It also creates an interesting state where instead of being so caught up with all of your thoughts and worries and the things that we focus on on a daily basis, instead of that being the main part of your experience, it creates kind of an interesting condition where you actually have the sensation of being able to rise above that And it's almost as though there's a deeper part of yourself that's watching this other part and is aware now that the thoughts that you're having are just a part of you instead of overwhelming you. You literally have the ability to focus or not on your thoughts or your your worries. And it allows you to make decisions and work from a place of calm and really make better decisions about things that you do in your life and gives you more choices to do things differently than you might do from a more reactive state of mind which is is more typical there's a tremendous amount of information available online about this you know herbert benson included on just the health benefits just the physical and brain health oriented benefits that come about from meditation there there's a huge amount of university-level research that's been done on this that shows all sorts of things like reduction in blood pressure and greater focus and clarity, greater ability to learn and retain memory. I'm not going to go into all the details because there is so much information about it, but I think that there's no question that from a inner and outer perspective that meditation will definitely improve your life.
0: That's fantastic. Thank you, Tom. I am also going to link, because we have some articles featuring some of that research. Everyone, you can check those articles out in our show notes. I will post those and link those. You can find those at onemind.com. So definitely check that out. Tom, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. This was great.
1: Morgan, thanks for having me. It's been a Enjoyable experience for me to talk about these things, and I'd be happy to do it again anytime.
0: We will definitely do it again soon. Thank you. Thank you. So, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Tom Bershad. If you want to contact Tom, you can do that through our website at aboutmeditation.com and just use the contact form on our website. And if you want to follow up, and learn more about TM, I've included some links in the show notes for the episode. You can find those, the show notes, over at onemind.com. That's www.onemind.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, why not pay it forward? There's different ways you can support us. Let someone else know about the show. Recommend us to your friends. Share this episode on Facebook. It all helps. And of course, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Also, today's show is sponsored by our free How to Meditate mini course. This free five-part course will only be available for a short time longer. Over 6,000 people have already matriculated through this free course with extraordinary results. And you can still sign up at aboutmeditation.com, but only for a little bit longer. That free course is going away soon. So today we're going to end with two quotes from one of the all-time great students of Transcendental Meditation, George Harrison from the Beatles. And he says, I remember thinking, I just want more. This isn't it. Fame is not the goal. Money is not the goal. To be able to know how to get peace of mind, how to be happy, is something you just don't stumble across. You've got to search for it. And then this, from the famous tune Within You Without You on Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Try to realize it's all within yourself. No one else can make you change. And to see you're only very small and life flows on within you and without you.